Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. All right, peeps, top of the hour on the East Coast, 1 p.m. Yeah, it's Thursday. It's July 28th. Let's just get this out of the way now. Uh, embarrassed, yes. As a Yankee fan, I hate losing, number one, but tenfold more when they lose to the frickin' Mets. Um, <laughs> not a good two nights, although they made a deal in uh, post-game for Andrew Benatendi, another paisan that will be patrolling the outfield. I'm happy that's an upgrade, Dan, as you know. This is Market Call, by the way. I am the aforementioned G-Swiz. We're going to talk a little Aaron Rodgers in a bit with EY from SoFi. Dan Nathan there just grimacing because I'm off on the tangent once again. Today's episode is brought to you by the following, Dan. Fact set, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. SoFi, get your money right all in one app, peeps. And of course, we are powered by Open Exchange. This is this is the day of reckoning. Now, I just want to set it up, Dan, and then I'll stop talking, I promise. But I know for a fact, I'm not the brightest bulb in the fixture, as you know, not the sharpest knife in the draw. But on June 15th, when Jerome Powell finished speaking to Market Rally on Fast Money that night, I said, you know what? We're set up for a decent rally. I think we could trade up to 4100 into Apple earnings on July 28th. I think Apple will be disappointing. I think that will be the catalyst to take us lower. Well, here we are, Dan, within hours of seeing if I am Kreskin or if I'm a piece Nos- of beep. Nostra <laughs> Dami. Um, all right. Well, here, here's the deal. You you have been for very consistent for a little more than a month, and you've been highlighting these two kind of events, obviously earnings season, but most importantly, Apple, and then really what the Fed might or might not do. I know that you've been calling for the potential for a pivot because of the data um, weakening, economic data, probably faster than we think. We're going to get into all of that with Liz, the GDP print this morning, and then what the Fed said or maybe didn't say here. But Guy, you said something interesting. It was exactly 24 hours ago when we started Market Call. You said it might be a different financial world in an hour from now, right? So that was after the Fed came out. Now, I don't know about you, man. That rally um, felt like um, not particularly natural if you will. It didn't feel like it was based on anything particularly fundamental. You know, we were talking about the balances that we were seeing in Microsoft and Alphabet that morning that were not on beats and raises. They were on misses and guide downs, if you will. And that really spoke, I think, to the sentiment that we are seeing in the market. But let's kind of refresh mm-hmm. the S&P 500 because you just said it. It might be a really important day here. Um, the fact that we were able to rally the way we did, close on the highs, we're down a little bit um, uh, after that disappointing GDP number. Um, but here we are. We're up again in the S&P 500. You see the lines that I drew there, you know, kind of that breakdown level just below 4,200. That was the high basically in June prior to that June Fed meeting. What's your thought here? Because it really looks like there is room to run. And it seems like the sentiment that we had 
talked about that got so bad over the last couple of weeks might have a little more a little more to it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, Carter said this as well. EY from SoFi, the aforementioned, you know, she's been constructive as well in the short term. So I think we all share similar views. We might deviate at a certain point, but to I think your point is exactly that. You know, those stocks rallying on not good quarters. It's interesting in terms of Google specifically. Uh, you know, Karen said it was a good quarter, and I understand what she meant. But what I said in return to that was, listen, respectfully, we've seen many better yeah. quarters out of Google over the years. That was a subpar quarter at best, but the setup was such that, you know, you had this knee-jerk reaction in the rally. I think the fact that YouTube held in there, they weren't seeing nearly the extent of the drop-off that Snap did. And I think that's why you got the rally. On top of that, valuation is not that much of a concern. So all these different factors in place, I think, is what got us here. But to your point, it doesn't feel natural. I agree. You know, it's funny. When markets rally, people say it's always orderly and it makes sense and fundamentalism and stuff. But when markets sell off, we say this all the time, people are panicking. Well, the last couple days, to me at least, you know, you have that bit of FOMO panic going on. And I think, to me at least, that's what you're seeing. And again, I think everything is going to be decided to a certain extent by what Apple says in a few hours. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, well, let's look at the VIX real quickly because we highlighted this earlier in the week on Market Call and Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting, who joins us here a couple days a week. He sent out a note to his subscribers looking at the VIX and saying not to the penny. We know Mm. that his tagline is to the penny. Talking about that uptrend that's been in place since November. So maybe we see a little more to the upside in the S&P. Maybe we see the VIX get back down to maybe 21% ish or so that is that uptrend and i think that's important all right last night on cnbc's fast money guy mm-hmm. we had our friend mike wilson he is the head strategist over there um at morgan stanley and he has been decidedly bearish on the market all year long we've liked his call um he can be tactical also and kind of release the valve of bearishness every once in a while but he doesn't buy into this rally he thinks it's a bit of a trap thoughts here on mike's call he's got like a 4900 um, target, uh, excuse me, 3,900 mm-hmm. target on the S&P 500 year end. Listen, and he, you think, go back a year or so ago, and Mike Wilson was one of the first people who was starting to sound the alarms of, hey, you know, things are not as good as the market makes them appear to be. And, and he's also said in the short term, he could see a bit of a relief rally. He said it last night. By the way, Dan's going to wince again, but you will point out correctly that Trapped, although made famous by Bruce Springsteen. It's not a Bruce Springsteen song. And, you know, it does feel like I'm caught up in your trap again. Jimmy, Jimmy Cliff, Jimmy Cliff. But I'll say this. I think he's spot on. And I think I think people get themselves a bit off sides. I think this is the rally to be paring down risk, not adding to risk. So I'm with yeah. Mike Wilson on this one. Yeah, and I agree with that. And let's look at the NDX and NASDAQ 100 here. And that zone, about 13,000 or so, you see that resistance level just above those June highs there and the breakdown level from just earlier um, in May. You know, that's going to be kind of key technical resistance, especially when you consider the fact that we have Microsoft, we have Google, we have Tesla, we have Meta out of the way tonight. Like you said, we're going to take a deeper look at the end of the show um, at Apple into tonight's print here. But It doesn't seem like there's a whole heck of a lot more that could be an upside catalyst 
for the NDX unless we have just a blowout report from Apple and Amazon, which you and I don't think is going to happen here. But that brings us to, you just said you want to be reducing risk in some of these things. Look at a name like Meta. This is a stock that I bought a month ago. I had nice gains in. I lightened up before the print after Snap. I thought that was a disastrous quarter. And when you look at this Facebook and you look at it kind of holding that support, it rallied um, significantly off the lows today. It's coming back in um, a little bit here. You know, this is one that I'm actually adding to, Guy. I really do think that if you back it out and you look at this longer term chart here, you know, yeah, is there gap risk? Is this short term support kind of precarious at best if we were to have a broad market sell off or something else that's fundamental? Mark Zuckerberg did not seem particularly optimistic about anything at all last night on the call. So is there gap risk down to those 2019 lows near 140? Of course there is. I'm just curious your thoughts on how Meta's trading and what you heard last night. Yeah, it's interesting. So last night I said your risk is probably to that prior low a couple of weeks ago, 154.17-ish if memory serves. And I think the stock got down to 154.85 or so today and bounced. Last I looked, it had a 159 handle. It might be vacillating around there. I think you're spot on. It's also going to be a huge volume day today without question. And if it does, in fact, hold those recent lows, I think you can trade it to the long side like you're doing. Yes, there's clearly gap risk to the downside, especially if the broader market gives it up to some extent. And you're right. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't seem to be particularly enthused about anything, but this is a stock you have to be tactical in. And that stuff you put in your hair when you're losing, what do you, what's that? that Rogaine. Rogaine. Yeah, that guy was on, you know, the last couple of days. You brought it up last night. You know, yeah. the fact that he thinks TikTok is a bit of a problem. There you go. Joe Rogaine's warning. So, and you brought this up correctly. By the way, if somehow, and I, I'm not suggesting this happens, but you've brought it up, and I think you're right. If TikTok somehow gets uh, banned here, I mean, I don't know how that happens. I mean, you think about these stocks. I mean, I think Facebook goes up 25% in a straight line and Snap probably doubles. Yeah, I, that's my take. I've been kind of speaking to that on our podcast for the last few weeks. I do think that if China were move on Taiwan and you think about our economic mm-hmm. interests or our supply chain issues as it relates to manufacturing, semiconductors, that sort of thing, I think that our, you know, Washington and our business community is going to have to come together here and see how do we kind of counteract that. We don't want to be in a shooting war with them. And I think some of the easiest things to think about is that our digital companies, they are banned from China. TikTok seems like low hanging fruit. And that's one of the reasons why I've been building that. This this is not one of the reasons. I've been building a position in Snap. My average now for some of you guys have been following along. I first bought in late May at 1280. Um, I did not sell any prior to the print at 16. I should have, as Guy said, but I've been buying the way down. My average is now 10 and a half. Um, here we are with a stock trading 960. That's not particularly great. I don't think that there, I think in both these stocks, Guy, I think there's about 25% downside. And I think over the next couple of years, you have 200, maybe 300% in a Snap upside. I like the risk reward. There. You'll take that risk reward every day. That's what we're trying to do here right yeah. you're trying to look for you know you risk one to make four type of yeah. thing that's like the old options action risks risk less make yeah, more no, and i think that's what you've set yourself up to do exactly that by the way um before ey comes on i know she snickered with that joe rogan comment number one number two i want to see how perceptive she is when she comes on if she notices anything uh, on the screen. Anyway, back to you, Dan, please. All right. Well, listen, I mean, just last point on the Joe Rogaine, and he obviously is not a user of that product. He is bald as you could be there. Um, but the thing about him is I'm not a fan of Joe Rogan either, and I'm not like bringing it up because I think that he's got great 
any great insight. I do think that he has the ability to kind of put his finger on the sort of zeitgeist before, you know what I mean? And I just think mm-hmm. that things that he focuses on tend to gather some steam here a little bit. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I've been talking about it for a while. Our friend Gene Munster from Loop has been talking about the potential for TikTok being banned. You, you know, not my president, but uh, but the former president was talking about banning it, right? Um, you know, back in a few years ago. And I do think he was right about that. I think it's going to happen. All right, let's do it, guy. It's your turn. Brian. Can I tell you something? You know, I look forward, well, at my age, you look forward to waking up in the morning, but I do look <laughs> forward to Thursdays for a myriad of different reasons, not least of which the weekly appearance of EY from SoFi. And before, and we're going to run late today. I'm just telling you people now, so I apologize. But quickly, uh, Elizabeth, that Aaron Rodgers video, is it? Is he just putting <laughs> us one? all on? Was it legit? I mean, work with me here because that was about as ridiculous, even by uh, his standards. That's I ridiculous. know. I know. I mean, I told you when I saw the video, I had seen a still picture of it first and I had very mixed emotions on it. Mm. Like, did we do this on purpose? Are we trying to ratchet up the douchiness? Anyway, Whoa. there were tons tons of memes about it i think it was very entertaining he's never going to live it down whether he wants to or not (laughs) it's beautiful actually there's something beautiful i mean he's a beautiful man he's got the locks flowing he's got it all going on i mean he's the quarterback of the green bay packers i mean he's 57 years old and he's still crushing it okay that's number one number two i know you snickered at the rogaine thing because i just know you number three what do you notice here on the screen about dan and myself anything in particular uh, no, you don't. The answer is no. you don't. Both of us, no. both of us have monster haircuts here. We both took it down oh. in a meaningful way uh, for this market call. Did you, so did there you, you go, go to the same that. barber. No, no. Dan, Dan goes to a fancy place. I don't. You know, I, I don't go to that. I, listen, I don't go to a fancy place. And wait until she gets to see our matching tattoos, guy. The risk reversal uh, tattoos that we have here. All right, now wow. we're not doing that. No, we don't have that. Wow. All right, let, Liz, let's get into it. You spent some time here. We're not going to do what we normally do. You spent some time in your weekly note on the SoFi investing blog on the Fed and the GDP. But let's let's hit the GDP first and your kind yeah. of takeaway because um, you know this was one where you know it's been bandied about what is a recession you know what is the definition of recession are we seeing sort of things that kind of okay if you believe that two consecutive negative quarters of gdp is the definition of recession fine there's a lot of people out there saying that well we don't see it in the house you know we haven't seen it yet really in the housing market we're starting to see that data turn down but the employment that's the big one here Thoughts on the GDP. You're out there active tweeting about it. You were on CNBC's uh, Squawk and Friends this morning. Talk to us. And Guy, I think you were watching this morning, weren't you? Did you hear something in that panel when Liz was breaking down? It's amazing. You know, sometimes, a lot of times it's sort of like Charlie Brown teacher stuff. But I was locked in, obviously, this morning for, for, you know, again, a myriad of different reasons, not least of which EY from SoFi. But then Richard Fisher I mean, this is not me saying this is a risk. I was like, on. He says, you know what, EY from SoFi, you should be fed. I'm like, what did I just hear? What? What? Just give me a little bit quickly. Fill me in on that. Yeah. You know, I don't know where it came from. We were we broke down the GDP stuff before it came out, talked about what each of us thought the Fed said. I ran through my little preamble and he said that he thought I should be chairman of the Federal Reserve. So, so uh, you know, unfortunately, it's not a job I want. So it's not going to happen, but I appreciated the compliment. 
down the road. Listen, you'd have to take a significant pay cut without question, but I mean that's a nice that's a nice feather in your cap <laughs> at some bad. point. Anyway, and we, Dan, and, I and we, and we no, and we like Dick Fisher. He's been on uh, Fast Money a whole heck of a lot. All right, Liz, talk to us a little bit about. Okay, we don't have to get into semantics and definition yeah. of a recession, but yeah, like, yeah. listen, you know, all of us could look at all the the financial conditions, right? We can see what's going on. We can see the weakening economic data. It really feels as if we are in a recession. You hear what corporates are saying about spending, rationalizing costs, cutting costs, all that sort of stuff. It really feels like if we are not in the definition of one, we are likely to be in one fairly soon. And so I'm just curious your thoughts, take away from that GDP, and is this likely to accelerate? Because the economic data gets worse before it gets better before the next Fed meeting. Yeah, that's right. And this is something that you're probably going to push back on me with, Dan, but that's fine. Um, So when you look at what's happened so far, the the first quarter of negative GDP was really driven a lot by trade, right? That was a big trade imbalance. We imported more than we exported. The strong dollar was a headwind. This quarter, it was a big drag from inventories. Now, the, the funny part about inventories is that it's a drag if we add fewer inventories than last quarter, because what that sends a message of is that businesses think there's going to be a slowdown in demand. But in reality, we still added inventory. So it wasn't a a destruction in demand. There's not this sort of, you know, negative feeling from from companies going forward. So it's still kind of a quirky way to read GDP. Now, coming into the print, I think everybody was looking for a negative number. But then yesterday we got some data that made people believe that maybe it wouldn't be negative. Frankly, I'm glad it was negative because now we don't have to look around the corner for it and hold our breath and wait for when it's actually going to happen. But I don't think this feels like a recession. And you're right. It's the labor market that's going to matter. A real recession, in my opinion, or a classic recession would be one where consumer spending really falls. At this point, what we've heard from companies is that consumer spending has shifted maybe to different items, maybe to more necessity items and away from durables, but it hasn't really fallen. So we haven't seen that contraction in spending that would usually accompany a recession. Now, how do you get that contraction in spending? You have consumers who are worried about keeping their jobs. That has not happened yet. Now, it's possible, not probable, but it's possible that the Fed manages to do this and we don't end up in a huge deep recession. But I'll tell you what a deep recession would solve is inflation. I think the chances of that happening are higher in 2023 than in the rest of this year, but it all still waits to be seen. And as we put up your uh, football themed note, I have a question for you. I'm not gonna ask a two part question because typically when people do that, it just it's becomes a bit of a cluster beep. But I'm going to ask you this. You know, I mentioned last night on CNBC's Fast Money, I quoted from the song The Boxer. Uh, a man hears ah. what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Well, it appears last night that the market heard what they wanted to hear to be bullish and yeah. disregarded everything else. What are your thoughts? Like, what did you hear from this guy? Because uh, I don't think I heard the same thing. Yeah, I didn't hear the same thing either. And if you look at the the quote that I put when I retweeted our market call tweet today, I said, is this rally all hat and no cattle? There's one that you can use this weekend at cocktail parties. Uh, I do unfortunately think this rally is all hat and no cattle because there wasn't anything in that statement yesterday that said they were going to turn dovish. And I'm so tired of hearing that people think they're going to pivot 
pivot means a different direction. Mm -hmm. If anybody who played basketball knows what pivot means, it means you change direction. I don't think they're going to change direction. And all he did was reiterate that inflation is still the focus and that unless basically the labor market cracks, they're still going full steam ahead. Now, that doesn't mean they're going at 75 basis points every time. I heard that. I heard that this was another unusually large hike and that the chances of them lowering the size of the hike were higher, but they're not going to stop hiking. So yeah, maybe we get 50 in September. It's still a hike, right? And I think we probably get another one after that. Maybe it's 25. Well, who knows? It's still a hike and we still have quantitative tightening, which is not going to turn anytime soon, even if they are to slow down the kind of pace of hikes here after 275 basis point ones. I, I do think that's interesting. You know, Liz, your point on... Um, you know, on, on employment, you know, David Rosenberg of Rosenberg Research, who um, I like very much, um, you know, Rosie makes the point. He said Powell makes the mistake this on Twitter yesterday afternoon of focusing on non-farm payrolls and his non-recession view. Payrolls almost peak just as the downturn begins and never once have they flashed a warning sign. Um, mm. I mean, I just think that's kind of interesting that, that, you know, they're trying to thread a needle about this narrative about a soft landing guy. And I almost feel like, again, you heard me just say the data gets worse before it gets better how do you think yeah. the july un, you know employment data looks how do you think some mm -hmm. of the other housing data which is really starting to fall off a cliff starts to look here so again you know they the push and pull between threading that needle doing what they need to do to really make sure that inflation dies at some point this year versus killing the economy it's a really tough one and i don't just i just don't think that they're going to be able to do that by jawboning what they um think they might do as it relates to rate hikes. I agree. And people want to look at the market as the input, whether or not they're succeeding or failing or succeeding, let's just say, forget about failing for a second. And there'll be a lot of people here today that says, and the question will be asked, I'm sure will be asked tonight at five o'clock, you know, has the market, has the Fed been able to thread the needle? And through that very specific lens, at least for the last couple of days, the answer is yes. I don't think the answer is yes to your point, because the data suggests otherwise. And we should take a look at yields, too, because I think they tell an extraordinary story. I and mean, we've been on this one for a while as well, Dan, in terms of just uh, the levels of these moves or the significance of these moves up to three and a half, down to 270. You know, we're at this basically line of demarcation, as they say. I still think lower EY. What are your thoughts here? Tenure yields either side of what, 275 or so as we speak? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they probably go lower for a little while. I want to I want to make a statement here and be really clear about it because I pivoted yesterday. I was on halftime yesterday and I pivoted and I want to make sure I'm clear about what it was. So, Dan, you just said inflation. The Fed's trying to make sure inflation dies this year. I don't think it's going to die this year. But I, what I do think is going to happen after this little rally gets over with is that we probably dip back down in the stock market in August. But those are now buying opportunities in the short to medium term, mm -hmm. because here's the thing. So the Fed, we got this this last big one, in my opinion, behind us. And now we have this sort of built-in pause where we don't hear from them except for Jackson Hole, but that's still a month out. And then we don't have another Fed move until almost the end of September. So we've got almost two months of data before they're going to have to do another action, right? And I think what's going to happen in the meantime is the market starts to get satisfied with some of that cooling. I absolutely agree that we're going to see more softening in the economic data. We're probably going to see softening in consumption. We're probably going to see softening in inflation, manufacturing, all of that. 
But as we all well know, the market drops first, the market goes back up first. So I think the market is going to start to get satisfied with some of this, find its footing, and we can see a grind higher for the next few months. I don't know if it lasts to the end of the year. I made the call that I think it does. And, you know, knowing that Mike Wilson's target is 3,900 for the end of the year, I'm okay with thinking that I'm a little bit above that. He's usually pretty bearish. I would be above that if I set a target. Dan, Dan hates me. I just want to put this out there now. But Dan's going away next week, so you should actually be in a great mood, number one. <laughs> number two, I let the first pivot go, and I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to fall into your aforementioned trap. But second time, now I have to do it. There was a guy, a streetball legend in the New York City area. His uh, street name was Skip to My Lou. Uh, I mentioned that because he would break people's ankles. In the NBA, Allen Iverson, maybe Strickland to a certain point. My sense is... When you played basketball, which you did, EY, from SoFi, you were probably the point guard and you were probably crossing people over and breaking their ankles. <laughs> Thoughts on that before Dan I, gets there? I was fast. Uh, my dad was a basketball coach for 36 years. I've been to a lot of camps in my day. I can run a three-man weave like anybody, better than anybody, probably. But I did sprain my ankle playing basketball, I think when I was in eighth grade and I never played it again. I made a deal. I'd play softball instead. Dan, back That's how it went. All right, guys. So let's just talk about yields here because, again, you were talking about the to the upside, the pressure. You thought that the, the – listen, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, Treasury yields moved in front of what the Fed was, you know, really aggressively hiking. If you recall, back in March, that first hike that they did, the first one in, you know, three years or so, was only 25 basis points, right? And then there were going to be a bunch of 50s. Those quickly got ratcheted up in June to 75. And I just – I think, again, you know, now what is the Treasury market telling us? Did they, you know, uh, you know, we see twos have come in. We've seen tens have come in. Mm -hmm. You think the ten um, weakness is reflective of, of growth scares here? And now, with the twos coming in, it's basically saying, to your point, that the Fed is going to be less hawkish in their hikes. But here's the deal: so that inverted yield curve, the two ten, is now. I mean, it got cut in half in just a day. It was at thirty bips, which was the widest it had been in twenty years. Now, I think as we're speaking, it's maybe fifteen or so. Thoughts on what that would mean if we were to kind of get back to flat or positive, if you will. I don't, well, well, I'll answer the question since you asked it. I, the market will interpret that as extraordinarily bullish. Maybe the Fed is figuring this out. It would probably come in the form of, again, maybe 10-year back to 3%, coupled with two-year back to 3%. Obviously, that's parity. I don't think that's what's going to happen. You know, I think the 10-year, the trajectory is lower. I think it's pausing here. I think two and a half to me, is a bit of a foregone conclusion because the data suggests things are slowing down. Rates shouldn't be going higher in the back end if economies are slowing down. In the front end, inflation is still a problem, as we see over and over. Go back and listen to the Walmart call if you want proof positive what everybody is feeling. They're feeling the same thing. Inflation is still a problem. So yes, two-year yields are lower today. I think that's going to be short-lived. So I've been in the camp for a while. I'll stay steadfast. I think an inversion of 50 basis points is in the cards. Yeah. I've said it's going to come in the form of two and a half in the tens, 3% in the two, and I'll stand by that. So Can really I ask quick a quick question to both of, of you? So we're at 2, 2.5% in the upper bound in the Fed funds rate right now. If that comes true, Guy, and the 10-year goes down to 250, 
that's usually a point. So it, when the Fed funds rate goes above the tenure, mm-hmm. that's usually an inflection point somewhere, if, if nothing else, psychologically. Do you think that that would be a problem in September? I, I, I think it's, it's really interesting you say that. I think historically, you're right. That's a bit of an inflection point. And I think that's going to be more of an inflection point now, because what it suggests is exactly what Danny Moses was saying this time last year. We're in this extraordinary period of stagflation that there's really no way to get out of other than time. And I think inflation under those circumstances is still going to be a problem with growth slowing. So if you mean inflection, is that where the market blinks again and takes the next leg lower? Mm-hmm. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Okay. So, Guy, I was going to mention that, you know, you you, um, you were talking about Walmart a second ago and what they had to say in their pre-announcement. It is interesting that Walmart went from 132 to maybe like 119 mm-hmm. in the post-market um, and was trading really, I think, at the opening of the day after that pre-announcement at 120. Well, here it is at 130. It's filled in that entire gap. And I think it speaks to what Liz is just saying here about maybe maybe some of these dips are, are now opportunities if you can take an intermediate term time horizon. Liz, I, I actually, with your pivot on the markets, I mean, I I think we go a little bit more, but I actually think we fail. I think we retest the lows as we get into September here. I just think that the Fed is going to have to remain hawkish here because, you know, um, to Guy's point, and he's been saying this for months and months, you know, even though that 9.1 in the CPI last month might be the peak, we're likely to see, you know, mid single digits inflationary readings for some time. And I just think that, again, the, the Fed's chance of orchestrating a soft landing is not particularly great. And one other thing I want to hit you on, Liz, real quickly, we have a chart of the Russell um, 2000 here. So that's the small cap index. This is a group that obviously should be a kind of early cycle play, right? If you think that we're coming out of this okay. We drew a couple lines on this. You look at that downtrend that's been in place from the all-time highs late last year. Here we are right here. We're just below that breakdown level from a couple months ago. This one might be really important. Guy, back in the, um, I think in the spring, you might have said that, there, or, or kind of early this year, this might be the most int- important chart in the market and you thought that small caps might lead large caps, and they certainly did. Liz, thoughts on small caps, and then Guy, I'd love to get your take on that. Yeah, so you're right. They're usually an early cycle play, but I think that that might be what plays out in the next few months is sort of an early cycle vision. And to your point, I agree the Fed has to stay hawkish. And I think that if we do get opportunities in August, if we pull back again, I don't know that we go all the way back down to where we were or lower. But if we pull back again, I think those are buying opportunities because everybody knows you must be present to win. So even if you think the rally happens in September or we find some footing in September, you got to be in the market to participate in it. And small caps would be a part of that. I think that if you are going to look for a growth bounce, that growth bounce happens more in consumer discretionary, though, than it does in tech and communications because the Fed has to stay hawkish and because those are the sectors that just classically have a lid on them when the Fed is hawkish and inflation is high. Access to capital, Dan, is going to be important, obviously, for small business. One has to wonder if that's going to be uh, more difficult going forward. So this downtrend that we're in, I think it's going to hold up. I think we fail here and head lower. But I mean, you know, these are things we've been saying for a while. You've been drawing that trend line, and here we are. I think Carter Worth would agree. We have to take a look at a couple things, Dan, your favorite and my favorite. And I don't think it's coincidence, by the way, that both seem to be rallying on the back of an interpretation that maybe this Fed is going to pause, pivot, whatever the hell you want to say. But can we put up the gold chart real quick? Because I think it's interesting that gold rallied yesterday 
rallying a bit today. And I think it's on the fact that, you know, maybe, maybe, or let's put it this way. The market is perceiving there's a blink coming from the Federal Reserve. So we'll see. So I think gold, you drew the lines, you've said it for a while, needs to hold there. It does. I think you can trade it from the long side. But more importantly, I don't think it's coincidental whatsoever that Bitcoin has staged a really interesting rally over the last 24 hours, Nathan. Yeah, you were saying it, not that the Fed would pivot, but the perception that they might, that would be the thing that would kind of reignite the the kind of rally in Bitcoin. So that one is kind of interesting. You see that uptrend, it probably gets you back there towards 30,000, but you're not out of the woods there. The last one I just mentioned is ETH. That's the one um, that I own. I'm not a huge fan of Bitcoin, to be very honest with you, for all the reasons that people love it. Um, you know, to me, it's just not, I'm not one of those kind of, eco nihilists you know what i mean that 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 think that that is the 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 savior when we have um fiat armageddon but um i do think the the potential uh, merge in eth that a lot of people have been focused on from a proof of work to proof of stake that is clearly a catalyst and just so you know i mean that thing has gone from 900 bucks to about 1750 in about a month it just shows you the sort of volatility that you're in for there so again both good trading vehicles guy we got to do it we got to do butters to but man. i'm just going to tell butters. you bingo people out there i guarantee none of you people had nihilism or nihilist on your card so tough toenails as they say butters i mean also you gotta just say butters and watch what happens like immediately something pops on the screen it's like magic now you see it now you don't dan and here we are all right gotta love the guy i mean basically listen i'm gonna say it in a nutshell things are better than uh we thought they were gonna be however um, let's see what happens going forward, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, no. So John Butters, he is the senior earnings, um, you know, analyst over there at FactSet. They are our fine sponsor. John does great work. He came on uh, Market Call last week to kind of give us a little preview of some of the data that he had been compiling into this really important Q2 earnings season. I think the data that he has here is about the beat rate. And 70% of the S&P 500 companies have reported a positive EPS surprise. And we know a lot of that has been lowered expectations that they are now beating, but that is below the five-year average of 77% and below the 10-year average of 72%. This is the lowest percentage of S&P 500 companies reporting a positive EPS surprise since Mm Q1 of 2020. Liz, talk to me when you see this sort of data again. I think the key point here is that we have seen estimates come down into right into earnings season. So now you have this beat rate, which is still below the five and 10 year averages, right? But it's still pretty darn good. Yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, honestly. And and I think the, the other thing that you have to think about is the messages or the themes that I've been hearing in earnings season is that companies got the inventories wrong and consumers shifted their behavior and ad spending is down. I don't think we're hearing as much about inflation taking a bite out of this as I expected either. That might be something, however, that gets pushed off into 2023. If we can't get it back down under, say, 5%, then we start to hear that inflation is the real problem. But earnings season has not been as weak as I thought it would be. And I think, Dan, that's exactly my point. It's it's better than people thought it's it's worse than has been historically but better than people thought it was going to be and just quickly on terms of uh inventories and such i think that to me is sort of an ancillary effect of inflation you know people are forced to choose effectively and i think that's why you've seen these inventory builds but that's probably for another conversation dan nathan yeah it is all right well here's the big kahuna let's do it guy let's preview it let's talk 
talk about it. This is the last one. I mean, this is the one that, listen, you know, I, I think that the stock performance, we have a chart here, just throw it up here. The stock went from just uh, below 130 to 157, uh, where it is right now in a month um, and a little more than a month or so. And that has doubled the performance of the S&P 500. So it's hard to say that expectations are not high based on the outperformance versus the NASDAQ and the S&P 500. Um, and again, I mean, listen, here's a name where, guy, we were talking about Qualcomm last night on um, on Fast Money. Mm-hmm. I mean, that stock had a big run also, is up 30% into its print, is down 5% today on a disappointing guide and what they had to say about the smartphone market. Apple is their largest customer, 23%. Samsung had disappointing results overnight. It's really easy to say, okay, this is not going to be a great report and it's not going to be a good guide. The visibility is not great. This is one where some of those inflationary pressures that Liz said she was surprised she has not heard from companies. Um, you know, we might see it here. It's probably more supply chain related. And then it also could be demand related in China. There was news over the weekend that maybe Apple is offering discounts for a short period for some of their mid to lower end phones. So again, you know, we know China has been an issue um, over the years, but they might see the first unit decline in two years since the pandemic. So Thoughts here, Guy, on Apple, and then I'd love to get Liz's thoughts a little bit on the broader implications, because again, unless it's a bad guy down guy, like a like bigger than expected, stock's probably, you know, either side of four percent, which is basically the implied move for tomorrow. If you looked at this chart, we play this game from time to time and didn't know what it was. In other words, didn't know it was Apple and just looked at it and say, Well, I mean, I've enjoyed this little bounce from these lows. You got to be taking profits into the number. I think that's the right thing to do. Now, to your point, uh, they could surprise people, and this could be a $165 stock tomorrow, and people will be saying, well, you got that one wrong again. That's fine. But the prudent, disciplined thing to do here is to take some money off the table and give yourself some flexibility in case you do see that move to the downside. I'm one of these people that think you're going to see the move to the downside. I don't think the setup is particularly good for Apple here, given the bounce that it has seen. And given the bounce that the broader market has seen, but that's what makes markets. But if I'm trading it here, if I'm long the name, I'm taking profits and I'm looking to buy it lower. And when I say lower, you know, potentially that 125 level that a lot of people wow. have been pointing out. Yeah, yeah. Let's real quickly. Oh, there was disdain in that. But go ahead. Well, no, no. I would just say to to get to get below that June low, that one thirty ish or so, back to that level you just mentioned. I mean, it would have to be an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, you know what I mean. And, and And I don't. I know you're not saying that tomorrow that would happen i mean like what what it would have to be market mm-hmm. goes back retest right. those june lows apple with really disappointing fundamentals and a lack of visibility for the balance of the year you know leads to the downside so i you know i i agree with that i just say near term i think that 150 level which was support in march broke down in may got just above it right um just a couple weeks ago i mean that would be a near term trading level and again that is in line with the move if you're just looking how microsoft and Google traded off of this and Amazon in sympathy, you know, with Walmart earlier in the week. I just, again, I'm going to be surprised if we see a move greater than 5% in either direction. Liz, that's just tomorrow. I mean, Liz, talk to me a little bit about the broader implications about what Apple has to say. Well, actually, I think the biggest point is how the market has traded in sympathy. And I'll go back to what I said before, that the growth stocks that I think lead us out of this are more in the consumer discretionary camp. I'm with Guy. I think in a lot of these big cap tech names, you start to take profits. If you're up recently, you start to take profits and you reposition it into something that I think can lead us 
in this next near term bounce. So I'm I'm with you, guy. I think you know. I don't know that I would that I think it can go back down to the 120s, but I'm with you on taking profits on some of these rallies that feel like all hat and no cattle. I love that. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Unfortunately, I'm not going to a cocktail party in uh, Mequon this weekend, but you never know. I mean, who the hell knows? There's still time. You like that Mequon? That's a pretty good poll, right? Oh Oh, my goodness! By the way, Dan is so mad at me right now. I enjoy. I thoroughly enjoy the. I I got to. You can tell. You can tell when I'm having fun and you can tell when I'm not. You can't make that shit up, people. And I'm allowed to say that here on MKT call because, you know, why not? Dan Nathan, by the way, and we wish him a fond adieu as he ventures off uh, on vacation, a well-deserved vacation. So I'm flying solo next week, but not solo. I'm going to have people with me. I'm going to have EY from SoFi. I'm going to have Carter Braxton Ward. Danny Moses is going to stop in. Tom Sosnoff. I mean, it's going to be a cast of characters. And if you think I'm off the rails when dance here, (laughs) wait till next week, people. The Brewers hopefully still in first place, although the Cardinals are playing excellent baseball. You know, Albert Pujols, it's like he found the fountain of youth over the last. He's like 175 years old. I don't know how he's still out there. You know, Dan, this is this is interesting. I saw that. I'm sorry, people. Albert Pujols has hit home runs off of. 475 different pitchers. I mean, think about natural. that for a second. I mean, that is cray, as yeah. the kids say. But that's yeah. it for today. Um, listen, fasten your seatbelts, people, because a lot of things are going to happen in the next 24 hours. But it ain't going to happen with Dan, EY, or myself on screen, because you'll see us on Monday. Check out Liz's blog, please, every Thursday at SoFi.com slash blog. <laughs> You know where to follow her on Twitter. I dig this at Liz Young Strat. Her her picture now should be her playing like a guitar, like a Clapton S type of thing. I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Factset, SoFi, and of course, Dan. We are powered by Open Exchange. I will see you back here on Monday at one p.m. And Dan, nice haircut. You look great. Well deserved. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Liz. Bye, guys. Bye.